Um, yeah, for those of you that didn't get that, we'll be sending out an email after lunch today explaining what that meant, okay? Um, I want to concentrate this morning, and I, I want you to help me and help everybody around you uh, as we do this exercise as a church family uh, for this Sunday, not so much as the final Sunday of 2014, which it is, we're not, we're not uh, saying that it isn't, but I'd like for us to consider today as the dawn of the new year, 2015. Uh, we're not going to be meeting together corporately, we're not going to be together as a whole church family again until 2015, and we don't want to be looking back all the time, and we don't want to spend our time doing that, but we want to instead get ready to push forward. So I hope you're with me this morning in that endeavor, and I hope that you individually and personally feel that this is something that's important, and that certainly as a church we know it is important. And for heaven's sakes, in the best interest of honesty, sanity, and childlike trust, can we all just agree, let's, as we do this, let's keep it simple. Childlike, that, that, reminds me, that reminds me of the 10-year-old who was becoming quite, quite knowledgeable about the Bible, uh, mostly because of her grandmother's teaching. So one day she asked her grandmother, she said, Grandma, which virgin was the mother of Jesus? Was it the Virgin Mary or the King James Virgin? <laughs> Very knowledgeable. She's like the little boy who came home from his kid's church class one day, and his mother said, so... How, did, how was your morning? And he said, good. And she said, who was your teacher? And the boy said, I, I don't know her name. I really don't. But she must have been Jesus' grandmother because all she did was talk about him. <laughs> and then we heard about the man who moved into a retirement community. And he thought, this would be a good place for me to settle down. I can spend the rest of my life here. And it wasn't too long before he had he'd made a number of friends among other residents, and he was kind of a social guy anyway. But it seemed like there was one lady he was especially attracted to, and he seemed to spend more time with her, and she was somewhat attracted to him. So they spent a lot of time uh, together doing things. And finally one evening, he proposed. He asked her to marry him. And the next morning, he woke up remembering his proposal, and he was pretty happy about it, but he couldn't remember what answer she gave so he went to her and he said, I'm really embarrassed to even ask you this, but I proposed to you last night, but I can't remember if you said yes or no. And she said, oh, thank goodness. I remembered saying yes, but I can't remember. I couldn't remember who asked me. So sometimes I feel that way. See if you identify with me. Sometimes I feel that way about New Year's resolutions. Because I tell myself, okay, this new year, we're going to have a, a brand new page. We're going to turn the leaf. I'm going to exercise regularly. I am going to do this or do that, you know, the whole thing, the lose weight, the get healthy, the whatever. I'm going to do all kinds of things to improve myself physically and especially spiritually and every other way that I can. You can include socially, financially, whatever you want. But then somehow, I do this, I don't know if you ever have done this, somehow those resolutions get forgotten. They get kind of, um, they get kind of crowded out in the busy moments of life. I don't know if you have that problem. I'm going to presume that I'm not alone. So I have a suggestion for a New Year's resolution that we all ought to be able to remember, and it's kind of broad and it's very general, but here it is. Let's promise ourselves and let's promise God 
that we will make a change for the better, whatever that means in your life and in my life and in our life together. In 2015, as God's people, as his church, let's make this one simple resolution that we're going to make a change for the better. Period. We're not going to try. So often I ask people how they're doing. Well, I'm trying hard. How's that going, that resolution or that commitment you made or that, well, I try. I'm just going to ask you in 2015 to totally dismiss that mentality and quit trying and just do it. End of discussion. Now, to help us do all this and keep it where it ought to be, let me suggest some ways in which we can make those changes for the better. And I'm going to keep it simple because that's the theme of what I want to, what I want to share this morning. So the very first way that we can keep it simple is to develop a positive outlook toward life. You know, every one of us can make a change for the better in this area. And that's by developing and continuing to, to develop a positive outlook toward life. A few years ago, I read of a, of a lady who committed suicide, and she left behind this note, and it said, I decided that unless life was worth living, I would just quit living. Isn't that sad? A, a close friend of our family died a few years ago, and on the cause of death, the doctor had written, adult failure to thrive. That, too, is, um, it is a medical condition, but that, too, is, 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 is a scary thing. And I want to ask you this morning, how do you feel about your life? I mean, is it worthwhile? Uh, let's change the question up a little bit. What would it take then, if you didn't understand that, for you to feel that your life is worthwhile? Or what would have to happen to make you feel really, really, really positive about your life? I mean, if you won the lottery, would that do it? And a lot of people think that would. Um, and if you're one of those people, be sure to check the, be sure to check the, 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 the history of lottery winners <laughs> and the life expectancy after they win the lottery. And where they are, if they're still living financially, if they're, if they're still surviving, where they are five years or ten years afterwards. But you and I, of course, if we won it, it would be different. We'd handle things differently. We'd be able to take it. But was that, would that change it? If all of a sudden your, your marriage and the problems surrounding it, just suddenly all that was patched up, would that do it? Would that totally, finally satisfy you with your life? If your kids began to make you proud, something you could really brag on all the time, and uh, would, would that do it? Or if you got a promotion at work, maybe, maybe a promotion you weren't even really thinking a whole lot about or didn't have to work hard to get it, but, but it came to you. Would that do it? Or what would it take for you to really feel positive about your life? Now, if, if that's the way you think, the things I've just mentioned, then you'll probably never really feel positive about life. And here's why. It takes us a while to figure this out. but Because all the little pieces that must come together to make your, you positive about life will probably, hope you're listening, will probably never be there. And, and that is the express reason I've chosen 
Philippians chapter 3, and if you have your Bibles this morning, I invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, and particularly verses 12 to 14, and then we're going to come back and look at a, a couple earlier verses there. But this is where I want to, uh, I want to use this as our springboard this morning. And be, but before I read it, you need to realize that in these words I'm going to read, the Apostle Paul, who wrote them, is in, he's in prison. And he's chained to a Roman guard or guards, and he's under horrible conditions. He's, he's really, we think of prison today, uh, it's, not, it's not the kind of prison that Paul was in. We think of a, uh, of a dungeon, we think of an underground cave, we think of, um, we think of the worst possible human conditions. That's where Paul was when he wrote this. And yet, despite all of that, he writes these wonderfully positive words. And as a matter of fact, we're going to even put them on the screen for you. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Now, here's, here's what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this. In other words, uh, folks, I haven't arrived. And the truth is, nobody has. Or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. And I'll come back and just kind of walk you through this in a moment, but just want you to kind of to, uh, let those words marinate for a moment. And then verse 13, he says, Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to, yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, one thing, keep it simple, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Now stop for a moment and ask yourself, what is it that Paul's trying to get hold of here? Well, back in verses 10 and 11, if I can put those up for you, and just that'll be a help, he says, this is what it's all about. This is, what, this is the meaning of life right here. He said, I want to know Christ. That's right, Paul's still in the Mamertine prison. Paul's still down in the dungeon. Paul's still chained to guards. And here's what he's saying. To know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Paul, you haven't suffered enough already yourself? Becoming like him in his death, then verse 11 says, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Let me read this passage to you. Uh, from the message. I read this the other day, and boy, my heart got blessed. Let me read these few verses, starting at verse 12, from the message. Paul says, I'm not saying that I have this all together, that I've made it, or I have it made, but I am well on my way, reaching out for Christ, who has so wondrously reached out for me. Friends, don't get me wrong. By no means do I count myself an expert in all of this, but I've got my eye on the goal where God is beckoning us onward to Jesus. I'm off and running, and I'm not turning back. So let's keep focused on that goal, those of us who want everything God has for us. If any of you have something else in mind, something less than total commitment, God will clear your blurred vision. You'll see it yet. Now that we're on the right track, let's stay on it. Love those words. And those words are a tremendous inspiration if you stop and think about them. Now, what is it he's reaching for? What is this goal that Paul talks about? It's the resurrection from the dead. His goal, then, is eternal life with Jesus. This is the one thing that captured 
in that first century that captured the world was the truth and the story and all of the uh, things that attended that of the resurrection, the coming back to life of that one called Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be the Son of God. Not only did he claim to be, but he proved that he was. And for many people, that became their goal. You know what? I want to follow him through life, through death, and back to life so that I might spend eternity with him. That's what he's reaching for. That's what he's striving for. That's what he believes in. His goal, Paul's goal, is heaven. So if you read all those verses, whether it's in the NIV or the KJV or the message or whatever it is, that's the goal. When he talks about the goal, when he talks about the prize, when he talks about pressing on, he's talking about heaven and being there with Jesus. Now here's the point. If our goal is heaven, now this is going to be a whole lot different than what we're hearing in everyday life today, so I really need your attention here. If our goal is eternal life with Jesus Christ, then all these little setbacks in life are only stepping stones getting us closer to the time where we will be with Jesus. And that's such a great statement, it bears repeating, and that's why I'm going to say it again. Because I never heard me say that before. If our goal is heaven, and that's what you have to decide as you sit here today. So what you have to decide as you leave this building. So what you have to decide as you go about your everyday work this week and celebrate the new year and all the rest of it, and as you move into 2015, what you have to decide is, what is my ultimate goal? If your ultimate goal is heaven, eternal life with Jesus Christ, then all these little setbacks in life, and we all have them, everybody has them, some of you may have had a few this week, are only stepping stones getting us closer to the time when we will be with Jesus. There will be disappointments in life. How many have already found that out? Okay. And some of you haven't yet, so the good news as we end the year is, hold on, it's coming. But every day that passes is one day closer to the time when we will be with Jesus. Now, if that's our goal, and I keep saying if that's our goal, if that's your goal, if that's a worthy goal that you want to attain, then Romans 8.28, which many Christians like to quote, and I think sometimes we misquote it and we misunderstand it, but if, if that be our goal, then Romans 8.28 is true because then all things, the good things, the bad things, the not-so-great things, the minor disappointments, the major disappointments, the failures, the things that don't show up, the things that we thought were going to happen that didn't, things that happened that we weren't ready for, no matter what it is, all things, all the ingredients to the pie, everything work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So everything is part of it. And you, you, you know, we, we get this idea that if, 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 we, if we get disappointed, discouraged, dejected, all the other D words, that we're not, we're not living a Christian life. We can't claim any victory. We don't really understand what it's all about. Well, we've let God down. God doesn't, blah, 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 blah. No, it says all things, and same writer, by the way, Paul, all things work together for good, for the ultimate goal, for that one singular goal of being with Jesus for eternity. Now, the world says, the world says, we flip the coin here, that the way to feel good about yourself is climb the ladder of success. The world has not yet defined success. Nobody has adequately done that. But anyway, keep climbing that ladder of success. It's an illusory ladder, by the way. Or the world says, 
the way to really find purpose in life is make a lot of money. Now, some people get the idea that the Bible teaches that money is bad. And nowhere does the Bible teach that. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. So if that's our only goal, and that's the only thing we're focused on, and that's all the reason for living, well then, yes, like anything else, that becomes our God. But the world says, you, you, you'll feel good about yourself if you make a lot of money. Oh, you'll, you'll feel good about yourself if you have influential friends, people in high places, people that can make things happen, the movers and shakers, the people that are, that are at the top. <laughs> and the world says, you know, you'll feel really good about yourself if you can win a lot or earn a lot or amass a lot of awards and a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of people, you know, claiming how great you've done and so on. The world says how to feel good about yourself is to belong in the right circles. You've got to get properly connected. You've got you to know who you know and make sure they know somebody that knows somebody and they know somebody. And then that connects you to the right circle. And if you do that, then, then you'll feel really, really good about yourself. And those are the things that make you feel good about yourself according to the worldview. The Bible teaches us that we are to feel good about ourselves. Let's say, let's keep it simple. Because God loves us. I know that went right over your head and some of you just hit you like a fried egg. The Bible teaches that we're to feel good about ourselves because God loves us. And, 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 the, and the whole thing is, completely contrary to the world philosophy that I just uh, enumerated for you, the, the completely opposite to that, the simple truth that God loves us with an everlasting love. And he wants nothing more than to have fellowship with us and to have a lasting relationship and one that is growing and one that has become more important to us than anything else. You see, friend, you are such a treasured person in God's sight that he, this is so hard, it's so easy to say, it's, it's just so glib, but to really grasp this, you could take this home today and you could meditate on this for hours. You say, how, how, what does God think of me? You, regardless of where you've been, regardless who, who you've been with, regardless of what you've done, regardless of the past, regardless of, of anything, regardless. You are such a treasured person in the sight of God. Listen to this, that he gave his only begotten son for you. That is the most awesome that is the most profound statement your ears will ever hear. Not because I said it, but because the Word of God says that. That makes you valuable. And whenever you get that tinge of not feeling any worth, and doesn't matter, nobody cares, and I'm nothing, and I'm just going to, you know, eat worms and die, and I just... Uh, you need to look at the cross. You need to take a quick trip back to Calvary. You need to consider what was done to pay your sin debt. You need to consider who gave what <laughs> so that you may avail yourself of an eternity in heaven with Jesus. 
That makes you valuable. And I'm going to tell you, on the basis of that, you don't need psychotherapy to get over this. You can feel good about yourself on that basis. Frank Peretti said it this way, and I quote, It's no wonder that young people today have poor self-images, and many of them do. And many of them get into the adult years, and they realize they, they didn't get the foundation that they needed. Well, not much wonder when they go to school and read books that tell them they're the products of blind chance, or they're just accidents of nature, or they're unplanned, they're unloved, and they're unwanted. And I think Preddy is absolutely right in that statement. But the Bible tells us that we are wanted. The Bible tells us that we are loved. The Bible tells us that we are forgiven. The Bible tells us that we are cared for, listen, by God himself. One of my favorite sports figures, and I've watched a lot of them over the years, but was Jim Valvano, who was the head coach of the North Carolina State basketball team for a number of years, the Wolfpack. He rose to fame when his team started winning championships in the conference and then went on in 1983 to win the NCAA, or the NCAA, say it properly, uh, championship. You know, it seems like, except for a few maybe close rivals in the state, but pretty much everybody loved Jim Valvano. Jimmy V, he was always cracking jokes. He had a winning way of dealing with people. And uh, they even tried to pin some, some dirt on him later on in his career, but nothing seemed to stick. In 1991, they won the championship in 1983. In 1991, yeah, Jimmy got excited. Uh, he got really excited the day they won the championship. That's the one I like. And uh, Jimmy learned that he had, uh, in 1991, he had inoperable bone cancer. Some of you may have heard of the V Foundation, what it stands for, Jim Valvano. During Christmas of 1992, Jim said this, and I quote, It's difficult to be thankful this Christmas because I'm not sure I'll be here next Christmas. End of quote. And he wasn't. He died in 1993. But he said this, This Christmas, 92, I'm getting down on my knees and thanking God for every day of the 46 years of my life. You know Jimmy uh, V's motto and the motto now of the V Foundation? Don't give up. Don't ever give up. Failure and rejection are only the first step to succeeding. Woo, I love that. You want a motto for 2015? There it is right there. Yeah, I just have to tell you about that game where they won the championship. A lot of people said they wouldn't even make the final four. It was the last second desperation shot. It was short of the rim, didn't even hit iron, but it was caught by uh, Lorenzo Charles, who was standing under the basket, and at the buzzer, he dunked it. And they defeated the University of Houston 54-52. By the way, that broke a 26-game winning streak for Houston. That was a team led by future Hall of Famers Clyde Drexler and Akeem Olajuwon. Jimmy V was so shocked that they had won the championship. And, and part of that kind of shows there, when you see him just standing by the sidelines, that's when he realized he had won, he didn't know what to do. And then he started running all over the court. He was looking, and someone said, why were you running like that, Jimmy? He said, I was looking for somebody to hug. <laughs> he couldn't believe it himself. Jimmy V was positive about life because he realized 
that life is a very precious gift that God has given us, and He's just loaned us just a certain capsule of time. You know, it must sadden the Lord that oftentimes we take this gift He's given, and we don't treasure it like we ought to. We don't treasure it for the precious thing that it is. So now I'm going to encourage you to take the first step with us today, and that is a positive outlook toward life. Let's keep it simple. Second way that I believe we can uh, make a change for the better is to develop a positive attitude toward the church. And yes, I think we need to have a positive attitude toward the church, and I think you ought to have a positive attitude toward this church, but we're talking about the church. I don't say this in a self-serving way at all, because one thing is, that is right about the church is our desire to simply lift up Jesus Christ and to reach out to a lost and dying world with a message of salvation. Yet at times, you know, you'll hear people criticize certain things about the church. Maybe not this church, maybe another church. I'm not saying it can happen here. It doesn't happen often. It's not much. It hasn't been too serious. We're into 18 years now here at FCF. But remember, the potential is always present. And and the one that you, 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 you expect to hear, don't always, but sometimes you hear this, is how much the church costs. It just costs so much to run. And some people in some churches, that's all they worry about. That's all they ever ask about. That's all they even seem to care about is what does something cost? And how much are we paying for this? And how much did we put out for that? Et cetera, et cetera. Over in Matthew 26, there's an interesting account uh, of something that happened as Jesus ate with his disciples. You remember, in the midst of that little mini-meeting, a woman brought a jar filled with, the Bible says, very, not just expensive, very expensive perfume. And she broke it, and she anointed the head of Jesus with that perfume. Well, well, immediately, some of the disciples gathered with Jesus started criticizing this. What a waste! That perfume could have been sold and the money could be given to the poor. And I love Jesus' defense of that woman. I don't know her name. You don't know her name. We're not sure who it is. He said, the poor you have with you always. Why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing to me when she poured this perfume on my body. She did it to prepare me for burial. You see, my friends, we have such a different value system than the world around us. It's astounding. And and it was no different in Jesus' day. You see, the world would consider something waste that we consider valuable. The world thinks, oh, you are wasting your time going to church. You are wasting your time around all of those goody-two-shoes and all those people who think they're better than others and all those hypocrites. And I don't want to be around hypocrites. And I've heard that all my life, basically. And I, my response has always been, and it continues to be, and God giving me breath, it'll always be, hey, there's always room for one more. Because you have to be pretty small yourself to hide behind somebody else. Hello? There are hypocrites in every area of life. There's hypocrites in church and in Christianity and in politics. Well, not politics, but in... Uh, <laughs> 
Oh, you are out there. And the medical field, and finance, and business, and you name it. Go down through the list. And if you don't believe that, just ask five people who their favorite doctor is and why, or who their, where their favorite hospital is and why, or what their favorite bank is and why, or what their favorite grocery store is and why, or what their, fav- their favorite TV you know, uh, uh, supplier uh, channel is and why, and you'll get, if you ask five people, you'll get 16 different answers. People say, well, I, I, I don't, I, I think, you know, you, you just, you go to church and you, and, and you want to hear about God, and, and you, you can get too much of that stuff, you know. And you want to hear about this radical guy, Jesus, and, and you, you, just, you just fill your head with that stuff. And the world thinks that's a waste. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of time. Time to refuel. Yeah. And I'm going to do this for the church. And I think in 2015, I'll get involved and do this. And I think I'll do a little more something here. And I'll maybe even give a little more. Oh, you don't want to do that. That's just a waste. That's a waste. Hey, when the world looks at your tax return, I hope, and sees that you contributed 10% or 15% or maybe 20% or maybe more of your income, because we have people probably at all levels, to build the kingdom of God they would laugh at you. They'd say, that is nothing but a waste. Do you realize what you could do with that if you just kept it yourself? You see, the things the world calls wasteful are probably the, listen to this, are probably the only things that will last for all eternity. Say, say this whole thing on giving and tithing and so on. What, like, what's the deal on that? I don't know what the deal is for you. For me, I'm paying it ahead. It's not about legalism. It's not about some law. It's not about keeping certain traditions or any of that kind of stuff. I could never outgive God. If I gave him everything I had, I could never because I'm still taking in breath. You realize how many times you've breathed since you sat down this morning here? You realize that every one of those is measured and God is the giver of everything that you have? You know how many times you've blinked your eyes this morning, just sitting here, trying not to look at me? A lot of times. You say, well, those are just involuntary muscle actions, and they just No, they're not. Those are gifts of God. God is in control, my friend. God made you, He created you. He took us from the dust of the earth and made something out of us and then said, whoa, that's my masterpiece. I want to keep fellowship with those people. Well, how can I do it? They've already broken my law. They've already stepped away from my plan. They've already contravened my will. They don't seem to understand. They don't seem to get it. I know what I'll do. Isn't this the most brilliant thing? Have you ever stopped to think about this, how God devised that plan that he would send his own son, and that son would become, would come in human form. He would act a human. Everything about him would be human except the sin nature. And he would eventually lay down his life so that you and I <laughs> might become God-like. Can you... Can you no, I can't either. And yet, 
so often times we listen to the call of the world and we say, oh, well, I don't want to give too much time to this. I don't want to get too involved. I don't want to get, you know, too tied into one church or one, you know. You know, we might lose some skirmishes along the way. And we will because Satan is still, quote unquote, the prince of this world. And there are a lot of things going on that are not God's will. But I'd rather be trying something great for God and fail than be playing it safe all the time and succeed while flirting with the values of a sin-soaked world culture. I just would. John Wesley, uh, was, a great, John Wesley was a great English preacher of the 1700s, probably the greatest. He was, he was considered a rather spiffy dresser. And uh, one Sunday morning, he wore a bow tie that had, you know, one of those old-fashioned bow ties, but it had long ribbons that hung downward. And after his sermon, three or four hours later, it was over, a lady walked up to him and said, uh, Brother Wesley, are you open to some criticism? And he said, well, I guess so. Well, what would you like to criticize? She said, the ribbons on your tie are entirely too long. Not only that, they're most inappropriate for a man of God. She took out her scissors and she cut them off. There were some people standing around, Mr. Wesley and that uh, lady, excuse me, that woman. And as Wesley turned to her and he calmly, very calmly, he said, Now, may I borrow your scissors for a moment? And she handed them to him, and he said, Ma'am, are you open to some criticism? And she said, Well, I, I, I suppose I am. And he said, All right, then. Please stick out your tongue. <laughs> In Ephesians 4, Paul again. Paul the Apostle Paul. He tells us that we need to speak the truth in love. Now, I'm going to put a teaser on the screen for you. And if you're a note taker, you definitely need to get this in your notes. There is a huge difference between the facts and the truth. I'm not going to even elaborate on this. I'm not going to expand on it. I want you to take it home and think about it. We need to make sure when we speak that it is the truth. And Paul says in Ephesians 4.15 that we need to speak the truth in the spirit of love. So we need to develop a positive attitude towards not only what we say, but how we say it. And so sometimes you, you come away from something, you say, oh, I wish I'd have said something. I wish I'd have said this. Or, you know, my best responses to criticism have always been an hour or a day or a week later. And I say, oh, thank you, God, for holding me back. Oh, thank you for not putting that thought in my head right then, because I would have just self-destructed. And so we need to know the difference between, quote-unquote, what people call facts and the truth. And we need to speak the truth in love. Whether the truth matches up with the facts or not really is immaterial. But we need to make sure it's truth we're speaking, and we need to make sure we're speaking it in the spirit of love. And if we can't do that, then we don't speak to that subject until we can. So we need to develop a positive outlook toward life, that's the place to start. It's a great place. Then we need also to develop a positive attitude towards the church, and we need to continue. Let's keep it simple. Now, 
The third way to make a change for the better is to display a positive attitude toward others. I love what Dr. Robert Schuller wrote. And I quote, he said, It would amaze us how many people we could influence for Christ if we would just treat people nicely. I think he's right. I think he's right. It's a hard world. We're competing against a seasoned fighter. We don't have in ourselves and of our own strength, we don't have the ability to deliver a knockout blow to Satan. Don't try to go it alone. You cannot do it. It's impossible. You can't outthink him. You can't outsmart him. You can't outfight him. You can't out connive him. I mean, he just, he's, he's just too subtle and just too, too much for us. However, we have all the tools and all the armor that we need available to us. Paul says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in that day. And having done all, keep standing. So can I say it again? It's a hard world. Sometimes we make it a little harder than it ought to be, and sometimes we kind of we get stuck in that mode, but it's a world that doesn't always exercise courtesy. Have you noticed that? And I've got to throw in a parenthesis here. What really bothers me is that a lot of Christians get caught up in that. And they're not any too courteous themselves. We have no reason to just have this expectation that we walk out the door and into the world. Everybody's supposed to treat us in a courteous, respectful manner. (laughs) It's a nice dream, but when you wake up, reality will hit you in the face. It's a hard world. This world doesn't always exercise courtesy. Sometimes, some of you have noticed, it's a dog-eat-dog world. It's like, who can I put down this week so that I can move up a little bit and so that I can gain some new ground and so that I can claim some territory? People are jockeying all the time for position, whether it's on the, on the highway or in their own businesses or they're filled with all kind of stress and they're filled with anxiety. And here's the, here are the other descriptive words for our society today. Anger. I mean, I deal with people who are so angry that if if you ask them why they're angry, they don't even know. But then if you ask them that, they get more angry. And anger turns to rage. Rage turns to suspicion. Suspicion turns to frustration. Frustration turns to condescension. And there's another word that I threw into that whole big long list all the way from stress to condescension, and it's the word opportunity. Because at any juncture of the road, wherever you are in that list, you're stressed, you're anxious, you're angry, you're full of rage, you're suspicious, you're frustrated, blah, 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 blah. You have an opportunity to break the cycle. You have that opportunity. Very few people do, but I'll tell you, it's the best choice you'll ever make. Because... We hear a lot. We even hear preaching on this, and it's fine. And I'm just going to tell you my, my position on this. My position is forgive and forget is not a reality. Say, well, I'm going to forgive you, and just forget it. 
Well, don't you wish you could? But somewhere, somehow, that'll come up again. Forgiveness, I'm going to give you a definition. Forgiveness means relinquishment. And, and let me just go back to the forgive and forget, because some of you are still pondering that. It's not really possible because it's not necessary. Forgiveness doesn't erase history. I just, um, I just saw the movie Unbroken, and then I saw the Billy Graham Association version of the rest of the story last night. And I'm glad I saw those within 24 hours of one another so I could get the whole book in my mind and the whole story of Louis Zamperini. But you know what? He f- totally forgave. He, won- he even went back to Japan and forgave his captors after the war. But that didn't erase the war. We still had a World War II, I believe. Germany and, 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 and Japan were still our arch enemies from 19... 19- 41 for the U.S., 1939 for the rest of the world, to 1945. Didn't erase history because they were forgiven. And it doesn't matter what kind of excuse you you make or how you explain it away. What has happened has happened. And nothing erases the memory of it, and many times even the consequences of it. It's that simple. It means relinquishment. Do you know what relinquishment means? It means giving it up. It means whatever power is there that is holding it, is being held over you, if you forgive somebody for something he or she did to you, that means you have chosen to never again allow that event to determine how you feel or how you act or how you speak or how you treat that person. You may remember the wrong. I remember wrongs that have happened to me over the years, and I still keep bringing them up in my conversation, and I'm sure you do too, but by choosing to forgive, you have disarmed it. And it can no longer determine what you think, what you say, or what you do. For that matter, where you go. Sometimes you can feel, and sometimes you know you feel, you feel like all full of, of Bible teaching, you know. And, and, and the Bible says, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall, shall set you free. And it will. But look, can I tell you something? Before it does, many times it'll make you miserable. Someone says, well, you're, you're just getting that pulpit, Bob, and you just tell the truth over and over and over. And, and you know what? It, it, you're kind of stepping on my toes, and it kind of hurts. Well, you know what? Truth hurts, but it never hurts like a lie. I'm not going to stand in this podium after 40-some years of doing this and, and tell lies. I'm going to tell you just like it is. And this is I'm talking about forgiveness and loving others and having an attitude towards others that puts them ahead of yourself. Truth will set you free, but many times before it does, it makes you miserable. Think about it. It's another one to go home and think about. I never thought of it that way, no. And some people say, I'm angry, and I'm holding on to that anger. You know what holding on to the anger does? It's like taking poison, poison and waiting for everyone else to die. No, it is. That's what anger is like. There are no hopeless situations. None. There is n- Say, oh, I tried, 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 and that's hopeless. No, there are no hopeless situations. Thank God. Only people who have grown hopeless about them. You still have, you always have choices, opportunities that you can take. In the Heartmender by Andy Andrews, powerful book. Here's what he said. To forgive 
And this again is about is about the atrocities of war, how, how people could forgive after all the things that were done to them. I, wow. We get some little thing said to us or something in our relationship that just goes a little sour, and, you know, we just hold on to that and hold on to that and hold on. It's like the biggest thing ever happened. Man, see what some people have lived through and have come through such victors because they learn the lesson of forgiveness, realizing how much they're forgiven, so that set the stage for how they can forgive. Here's what Andy Andrews said in The Heart Mender. Quote, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover the prisoner was you. Woo, if I was in a shouting mood this morning, I'd just shout! Man, see, you get excited. Yeah, I do about stuff like that. Because I'm not just talking about what's happening down on Main Street or what's going to happen next week or where you're going to go and blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about real stuff. I'm talking about the truth. I'm talking about things of eternal verity. I'm talking about things that will change your life. I'm talking about things that will make it all brand new for you if you'll just take that opportunity and make that choice and make it today. Now, the church must be a place where you can come and it can be accepted. And this is what we work hard at at Faith Community, where people can feel accepted, where they can feel loved, where they can feel forgiven, where they can feel encouraged, where they can be built up, a place where there are people to help you carry your burden. And everybody feels welcome and everybody's glad you came. Just like where? Yeah. Yeah, it's my favorite, it's my favorite Christian song. No, there's nothing unchristian about that song at all. Not one word. Matter of fact, years ago, I think it was when we were still at the Y, we used to play it a lot on Sunday morning with the lyrics and everything. And the thing that jumps out at me is everybody's glad you came. And everybody knows your name more than the people at faith community do. I still have people say, well, you know that new couple? New? They've been here for four years. No, I don't know. Who do you mean? Well, you know the woman there. She's got hair. Oh, yes. I know exactly the one you mean. Shame on us. I'd rather go to a place, and I'm going to be honest with you, where everybody knows my name. And everybody's glad I came. I've been to Cheers, by the way, so relax. I've been in there. Great food there. Whew. You see, if we treat each other with love, then wonderful things start happening. And it's not for us, and it's not so we can brag on faith community. It's for the kingdom of God. This is kingdom building we're talking about here. So this new year, it's going to be 2015 before you know it. Let's make sure we display a positive attitude toward others. I mean, you say, I'm going to have to work at that, Bob. Well, then I'm challenging you to go to work. Say, well, that's not something that comes natural to me. Well, then I'm, 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 I'm asking you to, to, to take hold of this, the supernatural then. And do something that's not natural. Just reaching out and caring about others and loving them. Oh, boy, it's, it's just so refreshing. When Terry Brad, how many know who Terry Bradshaw is? How many of you know, before he was drafted in the NFL, who he beat out as the starting quarterback for his college team? How many of you know? Just put your hand up if you know, if you really know, because I'm going to point to somebody and ask them who, what, what's the answer to that. Okay. 
He was a number two quarterback to whom, Dave? Phil Robertson. Yeah. Can you imagine that? Phil Robertson wearing a, a four Super Bowl rings instead of Terry Bradshaw? <laughs> Matter of fact, I'd like to see him on that Fox uh, panel there sharing the gospel every Sunday. That'd be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. He was a great football player. Now, some of you, that, I've just spoken some Greek, and you've you you got to go home and get your Greek lexicon and figure out what I just said. But anyway, <laughs> Terry, Bradshaw, <laughs> Terry Bradshaw was inducted into the uh, Football Hall of Fame in 1989. When he got up to speak, first thing he did, I like, I like people like this that are big enough. Big enough and bold enough and smart enough and winning mentality enough to recognize if it weren't for other people. Football. 11 people on the field. Like they carry 60 people, 48 people on their roster, and they have a practice squad as well. He mentioned other players who had played the game with him, and this is what Terry said. He said, this honor would mean nothing to me at all if I didn't have people like that. And he pointed to his teammates who love me. I love that. People need people. You need people. I need people. Sometimes we don't want to see people. Sometimes we're, 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 we just want to get away. <laughs> but the truth is we need people. People need people. Matter of fact, somebody wrote a song. Man by the name of Bob Merrill and, and, and Jules Stein wrote a song entitled People. It was for the 64 Broadway musical called, that's right, Funny Girl, starring who? Barbara Streisand. Nobody sings it like her. So people do need people, right? And people who have people are what? Luckiest people in the world, she said. But more than that, I'm going to add something. People need positive people. I mean a constant positive influence in life. And ask yourself right now, when people are around me, meaning you, are they lifted up or are they drawn down? Do I bring more negative into them or more positive? Not only do we need people, we need positive people. Maybe that more than any other ought to be our New Year resolution. A change for the better. I'm going to be positive as I look at my life. I'm going to have a positive outlook. Some of you got to do some work. you got to start right there, and that's fine. Please do it. Or I'm going to be positive as I look at my church. It's not just a place I can go. It's not just a place where we can be entertained. It's not just a place where there's some good preaching or good music or good... But I'm going to really, really look at this and take a positive attitude towards it. And then I'm going to be positive as I look at others. You say, I've never really thought about that as a New Year's resolution. Well, if you haven't, then you probably need to. And if you need to, I hope you will. May I also suggest to you that this resolution filters down in every segment of life. 2015 will be one of the best years you've ever had. If you can start incorporating these things I've shared with you, very simple things. Let's keep it simple. Positive outlook toward life. Positive attitude toward the church. Positive attitude towards others. If that can be your ultimate goal, the ultimate goal, the heavenward prize, to be with Jesus. Let me tell you that every day, 
you'll sense that you're getting closer and closer and closer to that goal. Staggering fact, folks. We are today one year closer to heaven than we were at this time last year. It says, oh, Bob, you're getting old. I'm not getting old. I'm getting closer home. Guy told me the other day, he said, the hardest part of getting old is aging. <laughs> I said, well, what's the alternative? And let me just tell you this. Not only are we a year closer, some say, oh, no, we had to say that. That ought to excite you because everything's on course. We need to trust the Lord. We need to trust his calendar. We need to know that his plan is an eternal and a perfect plan. And because of that, we need to love him even more. We need to place our lives in his hands, and we need to allow him to use us for his glory. And as we do it, let's keep it simple. Let me throw out a word of challenge. Because to deliver a message like this without a challenge seems pointless. If you are here this morning without Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, you have an opportunity to make a change for the better right away. I mean, instantaneously. This very day. On this last Sunday of 2014, I'm going to invite you to come and name the precious name of Jesus as your Savior. I'm going to ask you to accept Him as your only door to heaven, your only hope of eternity. And I'm going to ask and challenge you to be faithful to Him even in Christian baptism to follow. And then I'm going to just kind of look out over the crowd. <laughs> and I'm going to ask if there's anybody here that is ready to resolve to make life better going into 2015. And if you are, now don't do this because I'm asking, don't do this because somebody else does it, don't do this because it's pressure, no pressure. I just want you to lift your hand where you are. I am going to make life better going into 2015. That's my resolve. That's my resolve. That's my resolve. Thank you. There may be somebody sitting here this morning and you say, Bob, what I really need is I need to come back to square one. I know Christ is my Savior. I've followed him. I've even followed him in baptism and I've been in and out of the church, but I need to come back to square one. And I need to really get on the starting blocks and get going. And that's what I resolve to do as we start 2015. Is there anybody here this morning? Just with an uplifted hand, say, thank you. I see it. Thank you. Thank you. And maybe you're here today and you say, uh, that, uh, that invitation you gave to take Christ as Savior you know, I want to start 2015 as a Christian. I want to accept God's love and grace. I want to accept his gift and that forgiveness, and I want to do it today. And before I leave here, I want to talk to you, Bob, and I want to tell you that that's exactly what I'm going to do or what I'm doing right now. Is anybody here ready and willing and sees their need of accepting Christ? Would you just lift your hand wherever you are? It's not an easy thing to do because we don't want other people to know that we're still searching or that we're almost there? 
You might be sitting here this morning, too, and you say, you know what, I've heard this over and over and over, and I thought about it, and I hear you guys read it from the Scripture, and I think I'm one step away. I think I'm so close. I think I'm almost there, Bob. I'm just one step away, I believe. And I resolve in this 2015, before much of it passes, that I'll take that one step. May not be today, but I feel I'm one step away, and that's my next step. Anybody here? A one-stepper? Just slip your hand up. Hmm? Say, here's what I want to do in 2015. Bob, I want to share God's grace and forgiveness with others. And I want to be more of a tool that God can use so that we can see the kingdom of God grow. That's you this morning. You slip your hand up. You slip your hand up. It's encouraging. Thank you. I'm going to live on the sunny side of the street. I'm going to find the sunshine. I'm going to find the bright streaks. I'm going to find the good, even in the bad. I so easily find the bad, even sometimes in the midst of the good. But I'm going to start living on the sunny side of the street. Now, if you've raised your hand for anything this morning, I'm going to have you stand because I want to pray with you. And if you didn't raise your hand and you want to stand and have prayer, let's do that together. Because we don't dare step into a new year without prayer. So let's stand together. Mm. Mm. I'm going to ask you to do this just in the quiet of your own heart. Just remind yourself of the commitment you made this morning. You just simply put your hand up in the air. Nobody's counting. Nobody could even track it now. God knows, though, and he knows the intent of your heart. And I'm going to ask that while I'm praying that you just commit yourself to God. And if you're here today without Christ, I'm going to ask, as I said earlier, for you to speak to me before you leave today. And just let me know, this is my day. I've accepted Christ as Savior. Or, Bob, I'm one step away. Keep praying for me, and I will. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you, God, for everyone who has come this morning with an open heart and a willingness to listen and learn. Lord, we're all learning. We're all learners. We're all just sojourners. And Lord, this morning, we have one desire for the new year, and that is to make better choices and to move ahead with the opportunities you give us and to be bold about our faith and to walk in that wonderful forgiveness and love and grace that you've given to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you, above all, for the salvation that you've provided. His death on the cross, his bodily resurrection from the grave, and his wonderful, wonderful infilling of everyone who believes and everyone who wants to walk in truth. We thank you for that. We thank you for every hand that was raised, every heart that was touched, and for those, Lord, that are still kind of on the edge and they don't know what decision to make or whether to make a decision or how to go about it, we pray that you will clear the way for them and make it such that they'll understand perfectly. And for all of this, as we move into 2015, in advance, we're going to give you the praise and give you the glory. And we ask that your kingdom might expand and grow to the glory of God the Father. But we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. And I have a song that I...
would have loved for you to listen to very carefully. It's part of the message, and hopefully it will just ring true to you. Lay down your burdens. 